Welcome to the Twisted States podcast, where each week we take a look state by state at some of America's most nefarious killers, elusive cryptids, and bizarre mysteries. This is week two, and we are going to be talking about my home state, Nevada. So buckle up. Here we go. All right, so Nevada is the most mountainous state in the United States. It also has the driest climate. There have been settlers here for well over 12,000 plus years. Um, the Comstock Silverload was discovered here in 1859, and Nevada is the supplier of three quarters of all U.S. gold. Nevada became part of the United States in 1864 as the 36th state. And gambling was legalized here in 1931. So when looking for something to talk about in Nevada, there's a lot. There's a lot. A lot has gone on in this state. There's a lot of really crazy history in this desert. And there's, there's a lot. But the one thing that stood out to me was this story about Kehoe. The poor man. (laughs) You'll see. So... Let's get into it. So Kehoe, <laughs> uh, he was, this poor man, he, he just had a rough go from, from the beginning. And his mom was a Cocopa woman. She passed away shortly after he was born. Uh, she drowned in the Colorado River. Uh, his father was unknown. He did have several siblings or like half siblings or whatever, but he was born in the 1880s on Cottonwood Island. Keo kind of stood out because he was very tall compared to the rest of his family members and, and other tribe members. He had an extra row of teeth and he also had a club foot. He was raised on the Las Vegas Pite Reservation. He used to work a lot of odd jobs in the El Dorado mines. He would also gather driftwood along the Colorado River and sell it to miners uh, to use for cabins and shoring up the inside of the the mines and whatever unsavory (laughs) things going on with his siblings he actually had a brother avote who when kiho was 17 he actually basically hunted down his brother with another man by the name of jim white because avote went on a rampage and murdered several white settlers in the area. They tracked him down. They killed him on Cottonwood Island once again. That was the reason why he actually went after his brother like that was because uh, it was causing this great amount of tension between the natives and the, the white people that were in the area at the time because this native had killed a bunch of white people, obviously. Uh, and they were just like, you know what? It's like this. Either you do something about him or we're going to do something about all of you. And things were very tense at that time. It, just, it was not a good situation. But now that Kiho took care of his brother, um, took him out, he was given like this heightened social status. He was a hero. He saved the day. He took care of this this horrible, awful monster, you know, uh, slayed the demon, you know, took out his brother, which really, that's, he was 17 when he killed his brother. That's terrible. Um... But it didn't stop there as far as his brothers go. Uh, it was just kind of apparently just just a thing that they did. They were just a bunch of murderous, crazy people, I guess. I don't know. But his, his brother Steve 
Uh, Takope, on the 27th of July in 1931, uh, fatally shot a Japanese man near Searchlight and was sentenced to life in prison. But that's two of his brothers that, you know, either went to prison or were taken out for being murderers. In 1910, Kiho left his home along the banks of the Colorado to explore the budding town of Las Vegas. He, <laughs> shortly after arriving in Vegas, became embroiled in a feud over the killing of a medicine man. And he was also believed to have killed a Paiute man named Bismarck. Uh, although there's no record of either murder, uh, Kiho basically was just like, not getting along well with people in Vegas, so he dipped before the end of 1910. There was an article written uh, in the Las Vegas Age on the 14th of January, 1911, that stated, quote, Kehoe was born in El Dorado Canyon and lived there as an inoffensive red man until he spent a few months in contact with civilization and bad whiskey last year. So, yeah, wow. Uh, Keo ended up taking up employment with uh, J.M. Woodworth, who set him to work cleaning trees on Timber Mountain in the McCullough Mountain Range near Searchlight, Nevada. Uh, that didn't work out so well, though, and uh, it came to an end with Keho fatally bashing his boss's head in with a length of cedar. Shortly after that, at the Goldbug Mine, an elderly night watchman was found shot in the head with his food and his badge missing. From the distinct footprints at the scene of the crime, there was no doubt it had been the doing of Kehoe. Uh, the word went out that a madman was on the loose, and the hunt began. Uh, posses were assembled, trackers were hired. Everybody had in their mind that they were just chasing down this, like, ignorant savage. You know, I mean, the... the the perception was so poor. These people were just so ignorant and ah, it's like, it's unnerving, but they thought they were just going to go, you know, he was just going to be shambling along and they were just going to grab him and be done. And, uh, he knew this area well. And even though he had his birth defects and his issues and whatever, uh, he wasn't stupid. He knew his way around the desert. He grew up here. He knew this layout area, like the back of his hand. So they looked for him and they did not find him. <laughs> he, they they hired trackers. They had all these people. They they went out of their way, and even though it's not a very big area that he was like roaming around in, like he totally ditched everybody. They they were unable to find him. Uh, according to newspapers, Keo got in the killing mood again, as they said, in 1913. A hundred year old blind native by the name of Canyon Charlie was found dead with a pickaxe wound to the head. The old man's food supply was gone, and most people don't believe this murder was the doing of Kehoe, uh, because him and Kenny and Charlie were actually really good friends. But, you know, there's no real way of knowing. And back then, it seemed like it was guilty till proven innocent. Not like it's not kind of like that now. But anyway, I'm not going to go down that road. <laughs> Just get through this. A body of a native woman was discovered. She had been gathering firewood when she was shot, but she wasn't robbed. Uh, Kehoe also took the blame for her. And then there were uh, two miners on the Arizona side of the river that had also been murdered. They were found shot in the back. Uh, all of their provisions and supplies were taken. Uh, of course, Kehoe, right? 
Uh, next, he was accused of killing James Patterson. And the funny thing about James Patterson is he turned up a few days later, completely unhurt. <laughs> um, but in the process of looking for Patterson, they found the body of another man that had been murdered. Uh, by this time, Keo fever was running high. Like people were just out for blood. Like they were like, we have to get this guy. Where is he? This is ridiculous. You know, uh, we can't just have somebody just stalking around out there in the desert and taking everybody, you know, just taking everybody out. So bounties were issued and posses were organized. Between 1915 and 1919, uh, Kehoe got wise and like ducked out. He successfully evaded law enforcement. During this time, like this was when the legend was really created the legend of Kehoe, like this is when it reached that top level of, you know, he was the boogeyman. January of 1919, two prospectors by the names of Hancock and Taylor departed their camp on the Muddy River, leaving behind their third man, Brown, who was unable to travel with them because of an illness. So several days later, neighbors checked in on their camp to find Brown alone and hysterical with fear. His partners were missing, and he was unable to search for them himself due to his illness. A search party was put together in nearby St. Thomas, and they took off downstream for their camp in search of the two miners. Not four miles away, the search party discovered the bodies of Hancock and Taylor, shot in the back. Taylor's head had been smashed in with an axe handle, and only two miners' shoes were missing. Keo was, of course, the first suspect, and truth be told, the scene did fit his M.O. rather neatly. One week later, Maud Douglas, the wife of a local miner, was found shot in her cabin. They tried to blame this one on Kehoe as well. They said they saw his tracks outside and they made up their mind. But there was a little boy named Leo Kennedy that Maud was caring for. I don't know if that was her child or just like she, I don't know exactly the situation, but in the article, it said that she was raising Leo and he stated that it was Maud's husband, Arvin Douglas that killed Maud. So I think this was one of those instances where somebody was using this legend as a cover story. So they assembled a second posse to track down and bring Kehoe and dead or alive because the whole state was enraged at this point like at the whole area everybody was just like we've had enough this has to stop so sheriff sam gay and deputy frank Waite rounded up a capable posse and hired the best trackers they could find among the group were two natives orders went out dead or alive the posse cut kehoe's trail at las vegas wash and tracked him to muddy mountain however they lost the tracks in a snowstorm there they split into two parties, each going the opposite direction and circling the mountain to meet on the other side. The idea was to ensnare Kehoe in a flanking maneuver, but this didn't pan out as they expected. The party found the remains of two freshly killed bighorn sheep, but not Kehoe. They eventually cut his tracks again and followed them back to Las Vegas Wash. Kehoe had doubled back on them. The search went on for days and the posse couldn't seem to catch up with Kehoe. However, this soon became clear as to why. One morning, Deputy Waite awoke to find the two natives of their party had built a huge bonfire in an obvious attempt to signal Kehoe of their position. So Waite was like, all right, you guys are done. Get out of here. <laughs> so he dismissed them. But by this time, the posse 
they, their spirits were broken. They were whittled down to like three men. Each one of them was demoralized and worn out. It was then that Waite caught influenza and had to return back to Las Vegas. And with this, the posse officially disbanded. Although Keogh remained a very wanted man, the active search for him had actually ceased at this point. Clark County Sheriff Joe Keat had first been sent to Southern Nevada in search of Kehoe while serving as a state police officer in the early 1930s. Although he never caught up with his elusive prey, he believed himself to come rather close one night when a bullet whizzed past his ear, barely missing his head. This would be the last official hunt for Kehoe, and it seems at this point that authorities were content to just let him be as long as no one else turned up dead. Kehoe had help, though, a network of friends and fellow tribal members who offered him assistance at several points in his life, never turning him in. One of them was a man named Merle Emery, the legendary Colorado River boatman. Merle operated a ferry at Nelson's Landing in El Dorado Canyon for many years and not only admitted to seeing Kehoe often during this time, but offering him help when needed. Perhaps Merle didn't believe that half of those murders were placed at the foot of the culpable party, as he had no fear of Kehoe himself. He was once quoted saying, why don't you let that poor Indian rest? In 1919, Kehoe dropped off the radar, successfully evading authorities for his entire life. They actually ran across his cave in 1940. It was Charlie Kenyon and brothers Art and Ed Schroeder who found Kehoe's cave while prospecting in Black Canyon about 10 miles below Hoover Dam. They had been working the canyon for minerals when they spotted a stone wall of sorts and traversed the cliffs of the canyon wall to investigate it. Here they discovered, behind the wall, a perfectly fortified cave. It was 2,000 feet above the river and commanded a view of the entire canyon. In front of the cave was a tripwire rigged to an alarm bell. On the other side of the cave, they discovered Kehoe's mummified remains. One of his legs had been wrapped with a bandage at just about the height snake bites are common. And although natural causes would later be the official cause of death, it's commonly thought that this is how he died. Along with his remains, they discovered a 3030 Winchester rifle, a repeating shotgun, high-quality bow and arrow set with steel-tipped arrows, blasting caps, dynamite, and plywood, obviously stolen from the Hoover Dam construction site. The badge of the old watchman Kehoe had killed at the Goldbug Mine in 1910 was also located there, along with several pairs of eyeglasses and many pairs of shoes. There were also pots and cooking implements. A dispute then broke out as to who owned the remains. Sheriff Gene Ward put the remains in artifacts discovered at the county courthouse. Supposedly, this was done for identification purposes. The remains were then turned over to the Palm Funeral Home, where they were placed in a glass case and put on further display for three years. Waite located a man named Archie Kay of Mawapa, who claimed to be Kehoe's next of kin, and for $25 gave Waite a bill of sale for the remains and artifacts. Waite took this bill of sale to the Boulder City Justice of the Peace, and there Waite demanded that the remains be released from county custody. The court, horrified, just was like, no, and they refused. They were like, we're not going to become part of this spectacle. We're not honoring that bill of sale. You people are crazy. But the following year, a new magistrate was elected, and the remains came into possession of the Las Vegas Elks Lodge. The Las Vegas Elks Lodge made no secret of ownership of the body and used it in their display in the annual Las Vegas Heldorado Days Parade, which is the thing that still goes on, the parade, not the body part. <laughs> this involved loading the remains in the back of a convertible and driving the remains around in the parade procession before they were finally deposited into a replica of the death cave they were discovered in. In this replica cave, the Elks Lodge kept many of the actual artifacts discovered along with the body. After many years of this, the remains and artifacts were stolen and later found in Bonanza Wash. 
The artifacts were never recovered, and it was widely suggested that the theft was a hoax perpetrated by the Elks Lodge itself to dispose of the decomposing body while avoiding the cost of a proper burial. At this point, Ronald Wiley, a former district attorney of Clark County, disgusted by the whole spectacle, purchased the remains, now literally a bag of bones, uh, for like $100 and gave them a proper, proper burial at his Cathedral Canyon. Uh, here in this canyon, there's a monument uh, bearing Kehoe's name and the simple yet elegant words, he lived alone. It is rumored that the monument at Cathedral Canyon is not the true burial place for Kehoe, but that he's buried nearby on the ranch. The location is supposedly marked, but actually like quite difficult to find. All right, folks. So there you have it. That is the story of Kehoe, a Southern Nevada legend, for sure, in every sense of the word. Yeah, sadly, uh, Cathedral Canyon fell into disrepair shortly after um, the owner passed away in 94. His family didn't have the funds or means to keep up with the place. They hired a, uh, like a groundskeeper, but that wasn't enough. Having Having somebody watch the place wasn't enough to keep vandals from completely wrecking absolutely everything out there and just destroying the whole area. And it was, it was a beautiful sanctuary, very peaceful and very nice. And, um, yeah, it's just a shame. It's, it's really a shame that that happened the way it did. And then they tried to, like the family tried to sell the land to Pahrump, to Chamber of Commerce, but they were unable to come up with the money that they were asking for it. So I don't know exactly what the situation is with that land now, but uh, I'll have to get some, do some more digging and find out. But it really, really sucks that it ended up destroyed the way that it did. But, you know, <laughs> that's how it goes. All right. Well, thank you for listening. And this is the end of week two of Twisted States. I know I'm a couple days late uploading this episode, but you know, I'm just trying to get into the rhythm of things and it's not always easy, but we'll, we'll, we'll do it. <laughs> I'm going to keep trying if nothing else. So I will see you next week, hopefully on time, <laughs> and I hope you enjoyed this episode, and please go check me out on twistedstates.com. There's also a YouTube channel and a few other things. I'm just getting started. I'm just ramping things up, so it's slow going. I'm a one-woman show, <laughs> so it takes me a little while to get everything squared away and done. Uh, with my schedule and other things that I've got going on right now. But I'm also going to be taking care of one of my grandkids for a little while too. So it's going it's to be interesting, but it's okay. We'll, we'll get it figured out. <laughs> I will be here. I'll be here either way every week, even if I'm a couple days late, my apologies. So I will see you. Well, you will hear me next time and uh, have a wonderful whatever day it is for you. <laughs> Talk to you later.